All right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you want to do the intro? Okay, I'll, I'll count you down. One, two, three. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we talk about all the topics you were told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Christina. And my name is Jose. And this week, I'm going to be joined by Teresa Zoe Williams, the host of the new podcast, up too late. Um, we have a great discussion about um, how she met her husband, and there's an interesting parallel Ooh. because it uh, will resonate with our story. Oh. Yeah, so spoiler to everyone listening, but she and her husband had their first date at the Starbucks off of the 101 here in Santa Maria. Oh, wow. Which is where we first met, you and I. Yes, yeah. And uh, I was in line behind you, I believe. Yeah. Well, I actually walked in and you were already there with a mutual friend of ours. And um, yeah, we were Facebook buddies. And I don't want to be one of those people who, you know, was friends with someone on Facebook, but didn't acknowledge mm -hmm. someone, you know, when in the flesh, so yeah. to speak. I was like, there's Jose. I should say hi. Yeah. And the rest was history. Yeah. So funny how that works. Yeah. So yeah, that that was cool. Uh, we both had a similar or shared history there. So that's, that's awesome. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And she's funny. She loves punk rock. She's a blogger. She does all these fun things. And she's super popular on Twitter. I felt like it was it was quite the honor to be talking to someone who's Twitter famous. Very I'm, cool. Yeah. I'm an aspiring tweeter. <laughs> you're, you're an aspiring <laughs> or aspiring twatter. Twatter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I had to. No, it's yeah. So anyway, that that's uh, that's coming up in just a few minutes. But first, what are we drinking? <sighs> you know the Samuel White Claw. Here. Oh yes. You know it's COVID. Yeah. We don't go out much. It's not like we're making beer runs or yeah. You know alcohol runs or whatever. So we uh, buy a case of White Claw and it. It kind of lasts. It lasts yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. So this will do. I'd like to get some beer at some point. But Yes. I know. Me too. I miss like our micro brews and all that jazz. Yeah. yeah. Fig Mountain. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, yeah. I miss my lizard's mouth. But White Claw, you will just have to do. You're on my rebound drink. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Christina and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about or mildly interested in for about two minutes, though we tend to be chatterboxes, so that isn't a strict time limit. This week, I will discuss the Catholic roots of McDonald's filet o fish Now, when I mentioned this to you, what, yesterday, you were like totally... Intrigued. Intrigued, Intrigued would be the word. Yes. Yes. Like, how did you, like, arrive at this? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, for those who are listening, Lent, 
the season of Lent is rapidly approaching. I believe it's like in a week and a half. It's coming up here. Wow. And, and it's mind-blowing because I felt like COVID started during Lent. Yes. And so it's Lent again. I feel like we've never left Lent. <laughs> like as a society, we've all been in Lent this whole time. We've all sort of been in the desert, if you will. Yeah. So in preparation for Lent, I, I was thinking, well, I'm going to have to be back to not eating meat on Fridays, and I'll have to go back to McDonald's for their delicious filet fish But it's McDonald's. It is McDonald's, I know. I mean, I could make you fish Ooh. on Friday. <laughs> I'm going to hold you I to that. I make some bomb salmon. I make some really good fish. You do. You don't have to resort to McDonald's. Nothing against, nothing against Mickey D's. Filet fish however, is like a go-to on Fridays for many Catholics during Lent. Yeah. Because we don't eat red meat on Fridays. Yeah. Red meat, poultry, but fish is acceptable. So that's what people go to. Now, the story goes back to Cincinnati, 1962. One of the McDonald's franchise owners, his name was Lou Grone, I think? Lou Gren? I can't pronounce his last name. He was noticing that on Fridays... He had a decline, a sharp decline in sales. Meanwhile, the big boys down the street, they had sales go up on Fridays. And he's like, what the heck? What's this all about? Well, the difference was the big boy offered fish sandwiches. So Lou was like, well, this is a heavily populated area with Catholics. So he's like, for me to stop hemorrhaging money on Fridays, I'm going to introduce my own you know, fish sandwich. Well, as a franchisee, he can't just introduce menu items. He has to run it by the owner, mm. Ray Kroc. Mm. And so he went to Ray Kroc and was like, hey, what if on Fridays we sell a fish filet? Ray Kroc. What a croc. <laughs> it's a croc of Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he suggests to Ray Kroc that they have this fish filet sandwich. And Kroc was adamantly opposed to it. And he said, quote, hell no. I don't care if the Pope himself comes to Cincinnati. He can eat hamburgers like everybody else. What? Yes. but That's a crock of shit. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Eventually, he relented. And so they spent some time coming up with, well, what's the right fish? What's the right breading? The right tartar sauce, etc. And they stumbled upon the idea of adding a slice of cheese to it. And by 1965, they had what we now know as the fish filet sandwich. And it was hugely successful um, for McDonald's, for Lou. Um, he went on to make like 60 to $300 million a year. Wow. He was able to open up another 43 franchise locations. And today, a quarter of fish filet sales are during Lent. I'm okay eating the fish filet. It's not the greatest. I'm, I would be... Totally happy if you were to make me fish on Fridays. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't mind the filet of fish, but I mean, it is, it's pretty flimsy. That's the backstory there. Yeah. That's amazing. McDonald's introduced the fish filet because their sales were declining. And so they started selling them to compete in the no meat Fridays for Catholics. Very so, wise. Interesting story. Very, very <laughs> wise. Yeah. Well, what do you have for us this week, babe? Uh, well, today's... Kind of a personal note. Yeah. So this week, I would like to talk about natural killer cells, also known as NK cells, K cells, and killer cells. They're a type of lymphocyte, a white blood cell, and a component of innate immune system. 
NK cells play a major role in the host rejection of both tumors and virally infected cells. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because it's personal for me as far as um, my journey to motherhood. Yeah. I would have had no idea what a natural killer cell was had I not had my journey with infertility. And, um, you know, we all have natural killer cells um, throughout our bodies, and, and they kind of get a bad rap. Yeah. I mean, like, killer whales also get a bad rap. True, true. But they are pretty vicious. They are. It's the word killer, I think. That... <laughs> there aren't yeah. any, like, happy people with the surname killer. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They get a bad rap, but, you know, they actually attack bad things. Yeah. Uh, when they're found in your uterus, it's not always a good thing, mm. um, especially when trying to get pregnant. You know, I'd been on my journey for quite a few years without any answers. And just before uh, we got pregnant with Frankie, our doctor uh, said, hmm, let me, let me check to see if it's this. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, he had to take a tissue biopsy yeah. of my uterus. That's ouchy. Yes. And uh, that did not feel very good at all. But when um, you have the desire to become a mother, you will literally do anything. Yeah. You'll sacrifice your body, basically. <laughs> yeah. And go through any pain. Yeah. So I got the biopsy done and... and the results did show that um, I had, uh, you know, that immuno response within the uterus. So thankfully, I was able to do a infusion. Mm -hmm. And it just acts as like a blanket mm -hmm. to kind of trick the NK cells that, you know, nothing is going on here, right. you know. And it worked. We ended up being successful and mm -hmm. um, getting pregnant and having our daughter in a healthy pregnancy so had I not had the struggle with you know my journey to become a mother I never would have known or learned about uh, you know NK cells and their function and how they affect things and now we have Frankie so and now we have Frankie she's amazing <laughs> and you're yes. an amazing mom so oh no yeah you're so sweet so a lot of women don't know about this. Um, we, and I, when I say we, those women who have struggled with fertility issues, we want to know why. Yeah. And in each individual is different in their journey to motherhood. And mine just happened to deal with these NK cells. And um, I don't think a lot of women know about that. Unless they've been on this journey or they've struggled with it themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good to just kind of put that out there in the universe, that information. Because it's not something that's really talked about. No, I had never heard of it. Yeah. I'm glad you talked about it because, I mean, how many women out there are going through similar situations and don't know that that's a possible explanation it's a possibility yeah right but god is good and you know ultimately i have to thank him for you know our daughter mm -hmm. i mean first and foremost like he is the one that breathed life into her and despite my my journey and and struggle i really had to rely on him and him alone and trust him that everything was going to be okay mm. love that 
In this segment of our show today, we have Teresa Zoe Williams. She's a blogger and all-around hilarious woman of faith. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. That was kind of like a brief introduction. Could you maybe just give us a little bit more about your background? Sure. So I was born a long, long time ago in Podunk, Pennsylvania. I think you want me a little more recent history, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, slightly uh, more. <laughs> so I've been writing professionally for about five years now, all around the the Catholic media world. You can find, I have um, bylines at Epic Pew, National Catholic Register, Catholic Singles. I've written for two books. So that's kind of my professional life currently. I have a degree, my bachelor's in theology, catechetics, and English from Franciscan University. And I've pretty much lived all over the United States at this point. And that's kind of brought me to where I am now with everything. While I was doing my research on you, I was Googling you. Um, <laughs> I saw that you were a, a teacher at one yes. point. At one point, for I had a brief stint as a, a long-term substitute for a friend of mine uh-huh. uh, at Our Lady, or sorry, everybody, Notre Dame High School in Riverside, oh. California. Um, and my friend was the, the junior and senior religion teacher that year and she got pregnant and I got to take over for her second semester and um, shout out to Susie Soto who was one of my very first students and actually got me into Catholic Twitter so um, if without Susie and that teaching job I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you today so thanks Susie thank you Susie I'm sure she's listening you better be I'll know right What's your background in education? Did you go to Steubenville? I did go to Steubenville. So my only background in education is the catechetics program, but they let me teach because I was also working on a master's at the time. (laughs) So I kind of got right in under that radar for the private schools in California. Um, And I've worked in youth ministry too, which I've written curriculum and pulled off all kinds of crazy stunts through that. So, I, I mean, I've, I've written curriculums. I've written um, the program for the rite of initiation for teenagers for a parish, the whole confirmation programs. So that's kind of where the educational aspect comes into it for me. I was never just a youth minister, as they say. Um, I was writing it from the ground up myself, always. There are a lot of great people out there who've been to, like, I know these two guys who host a podcast, Catching Foxes, they went to Steubenville. Oh, yeah. They're just older than me, actually. And Sam Rocha went to Steubenville as well. Yep. Again, just a few years older than me. So I was, I knew all of these guys as kind of like the legends at Franciscan. And I was in the next group coming up from them. So, yeah, they're great guys. Love Sam and um, Michael Gormley, just really solid, wonderful guy. Yeah, but he's not on Twitter anymore, so I can't. I can't. No, I've fallen out of touch with him. He didn't even get a Christmas card from me this year because I haven't oh. been able to be in touch. So. He's on Patreon though. You can find him on Patreon. Always. Which is where you're at. You have a Patreon as well, right? I do. I do because writing doesn't pay, and writing for yourself doesn't pay. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, where do our listeners find you on Patreon? Um, you can just search my name, Teresa Zoe. Uh, oh. That's where I'm at on Patreon. Make Perfect. it nice and simple. Easy. 
Mm-hmm. When you and I had, had talked earlier, you mentioned that you had your first date with your now husband in Santa Maria, which is where <laughs> I live. Yes. Um, so we met on Catholic Match uh, in the summer of 2010. And uh, he was with the army up in Monterey at the DLI studying languages. And actually, I was unemployed at the time living near Pasadena. So that's kind of, that's like a six hour drive difference between the two. And we wanted to meet in a neutral space and split the difference since so long of a drive and just a first date. So he's like, oh, there's this town, Santa Maria, we can meet in. It's about three hours from both of us. And I said, all right. I thought he had, you know, like researched the town, thought of things to do. No, there was the Starbucks right off the 101 where we met initially and that's all he knew about Santa Maria and because I thought he had taken care of it since he found the city I didn't do any research myself which is a big no-no but uh, we ended up there's a Mexican restaurant not far from that Starbucks it's been 10 years almost 11 so my memory is a little forgive me I love the city um but we went to a Mexican restaurant we went to the beach and then a lot of it was just driving around So we got to see the city, beautiful place. Um, And then we slept in our cars in that Starbucks parking lot because it was too late to drive home and the the DLI's gates would have been locked anyway. So, Oh, wow. That's so cool because (laughs) that's a great story of just two people coming together and, you know, it's not planned out. Just organically just plays out. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> and what's funny is like one of my first dates with my wife was at that Starbucks. <laughs> was it really? Yes. So we had been friends, she and I on Facebook. Oh, okay. We had mutual friends that we sort of had in common. And then I actually first encountered her at that Starbucks. I was in line and she was in line ahead of me. <laughs> and I was like, I think I know that gal. And then she was like, oh, hey, Jose. And we started talking. Oh, that's cool. And shortly after that, we um, joined up and had some coffee at that very same Starbucks. That's awesome. It's a nice little Starbucks. I sat at the table right by the window, like right across from the counter so that you could have a clear shot right of the door. And yeah, it was nice. (laughs) He came in and like stood right by the table and just like, hey, I'm just... And I was like, oh, hi. And he's like, do you like want to go somewhere else? It's like, uh, sure. So I stood up and grabbed my drink and we were off. And that was the extent of being inside that Starbucks. I know it's parking lot really well. but Lovely parking lot. <laughs> yeah, so great. Especially, I'm sure, in the middle of the night. Yeah, wasn't scared at all. Well, you survived <laughs> because here I know, are. here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> I did some more research on you because I'm creepy like that, apparently. Yeah, this is getting a little... Yeah, I'm getting a little personal. Um, One of the things I discovered, too, is that you like punk rock. I do. (laughs) I love punk rock. That was like the music that I was super into. Turning the windows down, blasting my stereo, annoying everyone with my Ramones. What what songs, what bands do you like? So I listened to a lot of The Clash in high school. and. Joe Strummer's 
personal projects also. But I mean, of course, you get the Ramones and the Misfits and Because Boys, the Smiths um, and all of that. But <laughs> we were actually really into um, Blink-182, MXPX, Newfound Glory, because I mean, late 90s, early aughts, that's where it's at. I remember when Fallout Boy's first album came out on Fueled by Ramen, like, but I was never allowed to go to the Warp Tour, even though my best friend, who's one of the best people on earth and most responsible, was going. <laughs> my parents wouldn't let me go, and I was really pissed off. <laughs> you know. I never made it either, so. <sighs> and there was, a, there was a punk scene in my hometown, too, like a really solid punk scene, a lot of punk bands um one of them ended up touring with um, nofx uh for a little while and they right before they got their record deal they broke up because life happens and so our little claim to fame the twerpin times miss them it's sad well nofx is still around they're still making music i know yeah god love them Yes, and the Torpentines music is now on Spotify, so anyone can listen and relive my hometown glory with me. Oh, that's cool. Did you, <laughs> did you like rock like a leather jacket or like a denim jacket with like patches and stuff on it too? No. Um, my parents were extremely conservative and extremely strict, so mm. there would be no destroying perfectly good clothes with <laughs> with the patches you're not going to tear your jeans up on your own like if you earn the holes that's fine but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my dad was a state cop too so like no skateboards no amps no boys <laughs> um, I had a pretty clean cut image even though secretly I was very into the the punk scene and the hard rock scene, so or the hardcore scene. You're kind of rebellious then, huh? Um, yeah, much more now than I was then, at the very least. <laughs> um, it's wonderful what being an adult can do for you. Yeah, I guess I could, could be called rebellious in the fact that I did these things in spite of my parents, found a way around their rules and whatnot. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. But I still don't own a skateboard or a guitar amp, so. There you go. Put that on the list for your husband. <laughs> he knows. He knows all about it. <laughs> Valentine's is coming up and then Christmas. So I'm sure you have yeah, a birthday. Yeah, my birthday's in July. There you go. Right at the halfway point of the year. Gift. <laughs> That's funny. My love language. So I'm, I'm so glad you're, you're here on my podcast, but you also have a podcast, correct? Yes. Well, soon. Maybe by the time this comes out, it will be out. But it's called Up Too Late with Me. Um, and it's a comedy podcast, um, kind of like a late night show style. I really adore Jimmy Fallon and, and Conan and Jay Leno. And, mm-hmm. and I've been performing since I was very little. And quarantine seemed like the perfect time to start actually fleshing this out and actually go after it. And I was fortunate that once I started uh, editing it myself, Adam at Grexley which is the podcasting arm of Catholic TV happened to see me tweet about it and asked to pick me up. So they're taking care of all of the editing and production now and hosting it, which is awesome. They're, they're a fantastic group. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause you know, as listeners know, I, I absolutely cannot stand editing. It takes Ugh. so long. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I was not 
happy when I was doing it. It's, I mean, I can and it's fine and I like having that control, but at the same time, I'd rather just write and perform. So the content of your podcast then is sort of humor and comedy? Yeah. So generally the layout is going like I have a the opening monologue and then some sort of funny segment like Catholic TV shows we wish we had or um, different things like that. Um, I have a musical guest lined up for a few episodes in um, and then a top 10 list of weird saint, those sorts of things. Um, but so it's short too. They're only about 30 minutes each. I have this thing about long podcasts. Sorry, yours is kind of long and I haven't listened to a full episode <laughs> of any of yours. <laughs> they are long. I need to cut them down. <laughs> Sorry. I can't, oh. I don't even, even when I was listening to Catching Foxes and things like that, I rarely listen to a whole episode because I just can't stand long podcasts. 45 minutes is kind of my threshold. Uh-huh. Um, so when I was designing my own, I wanted to keep that in mind. So they're about 30 minutes long. So there's only three or four segments per episode but they're i hope they're funny <laughs> i hope they're enjoyable they'll uh, be dropping at nine o'clock friday evenings as well okay. so like we're sticking we're really sticking to the theme and the name and and all of that that's great because catholics dominate late night i have to say right kimmel fallon conan colbert uh, yeah colbert oh he's another one i just love him they're also funny without being well Kimmel can be crass sometimes but I was going to say they're just very authentic in how they approach humor and life and even Catholicism when it comes up and I really love that and drew a lot of influence from these guys or inspiration they influenced me yeah that's so cool and then you know you, you said these guys and then here you are you're a woman doing comedy late at night what's the deal with the opposition to women I guess being funny Sincerely, I don't know. Because there is this thing like, oh, women can't be funny. I know plenty of funny comedians who are women. You're hilarious. You know, you have tons of hilarious writings and tweets. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think there's just, I I don't say this very lightly, but I do think that there's a lot of misogyny just in the entertainment world in general. And then unfortunately in the Catholic world specifically. Because if you look at even just top speakers, um, national and international in the Catholic world, most of them are men. We don't give women the space. We're still coming off of the women in the kitchen type of thing. And there's so much pushback even for women just to hold normal jobs still. And then comedy really puts you out there. Like you have to be able to laugh at yourself, laugh at the world around you, be vulnerable to these things. And that's an intimacy that I don't think we're ready for uh, from women in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially in the Catholic world, vulnerability is is so intimate in some ways that we expect it from, from men because they're the ones who are supposed to go out and be the leaders and be the, the macho men or whatever. Um, however your masculinity is presenting, they're supposed to be the ones going first and just don't see a need for that. I mean, Mary totally said yes to the angel Gabriel without consulting Joseph at all. She just plowed headfirst into this and kind of brought him along for the ride. And he said yes to going along for the ride, but he didn't make the decision initially. So I don't think that there's any reason for women to have to wait and 
I mean, in my own personal opinion, most Catholic women are much funnier than Catholic men. So (laughs) (laughs) that is hilarious. See, I love it. And to me, it's so strange because I find that humor will come out of sometimes tragedy or kind of suffering or even just like fortunate situations. Yeah, I've got a story for you about that. So my mom died almost 13 years ago now. And I was at Franciscan at the time. And at that time in life, too, those your mama jokes were really popular. And I just happened to be walking through a dorm one night and this group of girls passed us and they had been making the your mom jokes back and forth to each other. And the one happened to make one at me. And my response is, well, my mom's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and this was just like a couple months after my mom died. And she burst into tears going, oh, my gosh, I forgot. And I was like, I'm just being funny. Like, you have to approach this as the moment strikes like emotions are good we can choose how to act on them but we can't we shouldn't repress them so in that moment i was just it was funny because what are you going to say to that you can't return that oh her mom is dead (laughs) that kind of shuts everything down and i win (laughs) (laughs) and that's what i was going for um and then i ended up having to like comfort this poor girl that i took by surprise and yeah. yeah, you're right. It, comedy and humor kind of, it carries us through all aspects of life. I mean, we talk about finding joy and suffering as Catholics. Like if we're really about being joyful and suffering, that means embracing it at its deepest level, which isn't sorrow at all. It's joy because we know that there's something better and something more to it than just this external that we're feeling. And like in that moment in the dorm With that girl, I was connecting with something beyond just the initial pain of losing my mom. I knew that there was more to it. And even though I was hurting, that life goes on and these things can be edifying in many different ways for our life. I I love that. And to me, like I look at women in comedy, like I love Tina Fey, like Ali Wong, Leslie Jones, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And I love women because they're fearless and i think uh, i'm a man i'm yes, a man you see um, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm happy to admit that at times we can be lazy because we're so used to being like the leaders the macho men or whatever and so women have had to kind of really kick ass yeah and i feel like in doing that you know they have to be funnier and because of that they are sometimes just naturally funnier than men and they have more experiences taking crap from men or from the world <laughs> oh that's true pushing a baby out or what have you like, yeah those are fun times so many more experiences that lend themselves to comedy you would think so you would think so yeah i'm glad that you're you're doing this podcast and you're gonna focus on comedy and doing a late night thank you i'm super excited this is definitely a dream come true for me so uh, i'm excited to dive in and hopefully get good results yeah, I'm going to be a weekly listener here. Yeah, please do. You can currently you can subscribe on Apple and Spotify or straight through Grexley's website. So you have a show, a podcast coming up called Up Too Late. Does that mean you're up late? Are you an, a night owl? I'm not actually. This is it's kind of funny. I was always a very early riser and still am somewhat today. Kids make things a lot harder (laughs) um, to be joyous when I wake up in the early mornings. But yeah, as a, as a kid, I routinely wake up like a half an hour before my alarm for school and 
read or get ready for the day or just mm-hmm. whatever. And that followed me into college for a while. And even in high school, I was like 1030 bedtime. That's it. I need to go to sleep. <laughs> um, I had, I'd cut off conversations, whatever was happening and just go to bed. And I did that in college for a while too. In fact, there are a couple of times my freshman year where I just throw people out of my dorm room. Like, I'm going to bed now. You have to take your conversation somewhere else. And they all made fun of me because they're all up later and, you know, things were happening and I was missing out. So I started staying up later and kind of made my body shift into being a night owl. even uh-huh. That's not naturally how I am at all. And now I'm kind of in the middle. So I still go to bed between 1030 and 11 every night now because children yeah. then um our son goes to a catholic school about a half an hour away so we have to get up early in the mornings and oh. yeah <laughs> so i'm kind of both at this point yeah um, by necessity name, yeah by necessity exactly so um and if i want any downtime i have to stay up a little later on my own so that's kind of where life is now but the name of the podcast was just inspired by these late night shows and wanting that sort of connection with it. So, yeah. you know, you have the late show, the late, late show and the tonight show. And I wanted something in that vein. What's better than for someone who shouldn't be up <laughs> very late? Huh. What's yeah. better than up too late? Yeah, so, exactly. That's how that came about. Um, also, shout out to Caitlin Fasista of Tea with Tolkien, who totally helped me come up with that and rolled things around until we till we did come up with it. And then she also made the logo for the podcast for me. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh-huh. She's wonderful. Uh-huh. I love you, Caitlin. So does Penny. She's my baby's godmother. Yeah. All kinds of shout outs here. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I just love my people. Yeah. I love my people. The peeps. <laughs> I was wearing a shirt yesterday, actually, um, a couple years ago. My family made shirts. Um, and they've got like the outlines of the peeps on uh-huh. them for Easter. And my shirt says, hang in with my peeps. That's funny. See? <laughs> my, yeah. <Peeps. laughs> my kids get such a, a thrill out of that. They laugh. Those and, are oh, like, that's funny, mom. <laughs> the parent joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Part of my alley right now. <laughs> yeah. Your daughter is what? One and a half? Oh, she's two. Two? Yeah. Two and two months. <gasps> oh, wait. So she was born in November. Yeah. She's exactly then, or just about a year older than my baby. Oh. Born in November. So. November babies. Yeah. Nice. Well, I tell my wife, it's easy to re- remember my baby's birthday, aside from the fact that, you know, it's my daughter. Um, because, you know, she was born on the day of the Kennedy assassination. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That was Penny's due date, actually. Um, and then because one of my children has to be different than the others. She was born a week early, which was unusual for us. Our kids were always a week late. She ended up being born on the feast of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. And and we're in Colorado. And so she was a saint from Colorado, did a lot of work for us. And now our state has recognized her with a, a statewide holiday in honor of her. And she's the first woman ever to be recognized like that in our country wow yeah and they're trying to replace columbus day with her that's awesome now right now in the state we celebrate both (laughs) on the same day no they're a week apart week apart currently (laughs) 
Go Colorado. <laughs> we have that's, weed and saints. Yes, that's, that's a good balance, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Getting chill and high with Jesus. Instead of like incense, <laughs> it's the, the, the marijuana yeah, yeah. smell. or It's like walking down Venice Beach. <laughs> oh, I haven't been there in a long time. I'm good. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool place, but... Whew. Yeah, it's a bit much for me. So another thing I wanted to point out, because you have a podcast, mm -hmm. you're on the Twitter. I am very on the Twitter. You're also a prolific writer, I have to say. You have a blog, you've written for Epic Pew, you're on Patheos, other Catholic yeah. media outlets like uh, Where Peter Is. What is it with writing? Do you see it as an <laughs> Is it just self-expression? I mean, that's a loaded question because... I mean, we're composite beings and, you know, we're supposed to use our talents to glorify the Lord, but what does that actually mean and how does that come out and how should it come out? I like to explain it this way. I've been a storyteller since I could talk and I was started talking at six months old. So you do the math, that's like 35 years at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I've been telling stories um, and that's always been a big part of who I am. I was using my mom's typewriter before I knew how to spell or what letters really work. <laughs> um, so this has been me my entire life writing different kinds of things and, and all of that. I mean I even got the English and newspaper department awards in high school and, and whatnot. So writing has been both like a self-expression and then also an expression of the world that I see mm -hmm. around me and that I encounter. Um, and because of that, naturally, like God is a huge part of that because he is the world around mm -hmm. us. So I, I don't write to convince people. I don't write to my way is the right way or my view is the right view or man, you should see this like I see this. I write because I've been given that talent and that passion. And if you disagree with me, you disagree with me. If you agree, great. I'm glad that there's edification for you there. Um, even when I write like entertainment type things, that's still my view. Like I want to entertain you. I want to invite you into this that I'm experiencing, but also because we all have such different and varied views. I just want you to be able to see it from my perspective and communicate that um, as best as I can. Uh, and and I get the I, I do the same thing with other writers. Like if I'm reading a book or articles, I love where where Peter is. I Mike is just doing such great work over there and has amassed such great writers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I have written for them, but I often feel intimidated because they're so thoughtful and so engaging and um, sometimes very technical or intelligent. Um, I mean, they're always intelligent, but like very intelligent yeah. sometimes. So I kind of get intimidated writing for them, having to keep up to that certain standard. But like even uh, one of my favorite writers over there is Pedro Gabriel. He's just, Mike, you have to get him to write for you more often. Um, He's so good. But his perspective is so edifying and enriching. And that's what I hope people get when they encounter my writing as well. Just a different perspective, something that can enrich your own, uh, not necessarily take it on as your own. I just want to, I want you to know who I am and I want to be able to know who you are too. That's so well said. And, and it's because you've also written short stories as well. Yes. So there's like a fictional aspect to your self-expression. Yes. Actually, I have a novel being edited currently too can we get kind of an overview or kind uh, of sure i mean i've been writing it for like 
13 years or yeah, 13 years now. So yeah, you can have a little, um, it started off on the premise of his first love, true love, um, something that had been coming up a lot at that time in my life because all of my friends were getting married and I wasn't even dating anyone. So I hadn't, at that point, I hadn't actually been in a relationship with someone since high school. And I was just kind of reflecting on that. And this idea came um, and then got fleshed out into this bigger story of millennials and how we encounter life and make family. And it's really like if, when we're talking about love, it comes down to what, how we make family, what family means to us. Um, mm. So that's kind of what this novel is exploring. We'll see how it goes. It's been rather recent that it's been in full novel form. So yeah, it's been floating around for quite a while. And it's finally, finally grew up. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, there's a huge fictional side. In fact, when I, I first went to college, I didn't start off at Franciscan. Actually, I started off at a different liberal arts college. Um, and I was an English writing or creative writing major. And that was my goal. I wanted to be in the world of publishing and write fiction. That was my initial mm-hmm. path in life. And things changed. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's still a huge part of me. I'm actually outlining a, a trilogy right now as well. So Yeah, I love that. It keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> See, I need, I'll have to read more and more of your work, but um, one of the things I did read, on your blog, you have a piece titled 12 Emo Psalms. <laughs> yes. I love that. It's kind of like you incorporate humor, faith, this kind of like pop cultural, like millennialism yeah. or what have you. Yeah. Um, you start <laughs> off You start off by writing, King David was emotional and he wasn't afraid of it. <laughs> what prompted that? <laughs> well... So do you know how I got Twitter famous? Do you know that story? No, I don't. Oh, okay. So there's this Catholic media man named Patrick Coffin. And almost four years ago now, he, on his Facebook and in his blog and all of that, made this statement that, has anyone noticed as a rule that women aren't funny? And like, we all got up in arms about it. And then he followed up instead of like, engaging it he doubled down and he wrote like a whole blog post on it and when he posted the blog post in his um, facebook page i commented well now i've seen it all a coffin digging its own grave and (laughs) a friend of mine happened to see it a male um saw it and like spliced the two together so that you'd have the whole story and tommy ty happened to get a hold of it on twitter and kind of how i i made my entrance um, in my public entrance into the Catholic world, uh, my, my own little coming out party. So when I was writing this particular article, I mean, the Psalms are amazing, right? I'm a huge fan, love praying with them. I love that David is basically a middle schooler. You work with middle schoolers, right? So you know that they're either on one side of the pendulum or on the other side of the pendulum. Yes. There's not much in the middle here. Right. They don't stop here often. The Psalms feel like that a lot. You have David at his lows and David at his highs. And I, like we talked about, I'm a huge fan of punk rock. And when I, I had been praying with one of the Psalms and I, it kind of crossed my mind. I was like, this is super emo. Um, <laughs> and so this idea uh, was born um, and I put it together. So when I was writing the intro, the the intro paragraph I was like well how can I convey like what we're getting into here and I wanted to convey like there's not really a middle space for David and then that joke with Patrick Coffin kind of came to mind and I was like men aren't 
terribly known for being okay with their emotions, being comfortable with their emotions. But King David was. He did not care one ounce if he looked a fool in joy or if he was like moaning on the ground in ecstasy and peril and whatever. He didn't care. He embraced it because he knew that's who he was and who he was made to be. So I wanted to to sum up all of that into one concise little sentence and that's how or two sentences, and that's how you got that. That was awesome. No, I, I <laughs> threw that, and I was like, this is amazing. So, Thank you very much. Um, that's over at Epic Pew, for anyone who's wondering. My editor really loved it, too. He bolded one of the parts of We're Always Waiting for You. That's um some of the humor that got me invited to Epic Pew in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to, it was nice to come back very strong with this <laughs> for them. As we wrap up, though, I, I just wanted to pick your brain about this question here because you have talked about kind of faith and culture um engaging uh the culture with your faith kind of that intersection there like it's kind of my shtick it's your shtick where do you see seeds of i guess our faith in the culture like what are the opportunities for evangelization in our culture oh man it's everywhere i mean really really if you if you know our faith well and if you understand this is kind of jesuit thinking but if you understand that God literally is in everything and is upholding everything. You can look at anything and see him or either see him directly or see the longing for him. Um, And I love finding him in these kinds of places. And this kind of started for me way back, but I had done the Ignatian spiritual exercises and the last exercise is called the contemplatio. Part of it is being able to really see and engage with God in everything. And while I was doing this meditation, I'd usually, you know, meditate with my eyes closed and real peaceful. I happened to open my eyes and what I saw first were my jeans. And I was like, God is in my pants. (laughs) (laughs) And like at the time it was like this really profound spiritual thing. Yeah. God is God. My pants are still here because God is in them yes. and He's upholding them. Um, and I was like, "Wait, <laughs> this sounds a little <laughs> funny." But then, like going forward from that, seeing Him really in everything. And I mean, I'm a huge pop culture fan, and there had always been kind of this tension before mm-hmm. between culture and what media and things that I was devouring and. Catholicism. And at that moment, I realized that they don't really have to be in tension. They really do go together. Um, And since then, just leaning more and more into that and learning about God through all of this, through man-made creations and his creations, because even the man-made things like you and I and everybody else, regardless of faith, we're all made by the same God and we are all made with the same, his same image and likeness and all that dignity, we're all reflecting him out mm-hmm. into the world in different ways. And when we can see that and when we can engage with that, that's getting to know God. Um, so on the surface, maybe it looks very kind of surfacey um, or like I'm stretching. But if you really, really do look into it, he's there like implicitly and intrinsically there, not just mm-hmm. accidentally there. No, oh, he's, he's there, there. And I love that. And I love showing people that Obviously, it's a passion of mine. Yeah. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours on end, but I won't because I'm going to respect your time. Oh. 
Well, I, I love that. And, you know, Bishop Barron really um, has done a lot in my mind to bring to light, you know, the seeds of the word are spread throughout our culture. Even if you look at mm-hmm. something like Harry Potter or like mm-hmm. all the superhero fascination, there's there is always this throughout our culture, just mm-hmm. hints and shadows and you know, exactly. impressions of Christ. And isn't yeah. that cool that we have a God that does that for us? Like, yeah. He wants to be implicitly and intrinsically and interwoven right in all of these little things. He, does. he doesn't leave anything untouched. It's fun really cool. to kind of find where he is. Yeah. 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 Actually, my it. very first blog post over at Pythios talks about this, finding God's unexpelled places. Oh, yes. yeah. So if you go way back into the archives, the very first one, I don't even remember what it's called anymore, but um, that's <laughs> it's what it's about. Yeah, it is. Nice. I did it on purpose. So I know it's there. Kind of my worldview in a nutshell. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, for making time for me. Where can our listeners find more of your work or your podcast? Um, So you can find my podcast at Grexley's website, which is G-R-E-X-L-Y.com. And it's called Up Too Late with Teresa Zoe Williams. Um, And it's also on... Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, but you can find all of that information on Grexley. Um, my blog is Principessa Meets World, which you can just go to any of my social media profiles and find it. I won't spell it for you now. My, You can find me on Twitter at Teresa Zoe or Facebook and Instagram at Teresa Zoe Williams. Because somebody already took Teresa Zoe. That's pretty much it. My, my, uh, website is my blog is the landing page for like everything else so this is where you can find me oh and my patreon which is also just Teresa zoe so please please support the starving artist make sure my kids are fed support me on patreon yes i get that patreon money well thank you so much this is such an honor for me because yeah you are twitter famous and i'm just a lowly tweeter (laughs) oh you too can reach my height someday Someday. i just need like a a winning tweet. <laughs> so I appreciate that you made time for me. Yeah, of course. This is so much fun. Yeah. And I'll see you in the Twitterverse. Always. I am always, always there. <laughs> yes. Likewise. Mm. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Jose. Beyond the sky. It's been a all right so in this final segment of our show we're going to discuss something that we're watching reading or listening to so this week um i wanted to talk about a movie called one night in miami um we watched this it was really good directed by regina king it was adapted from a play by kemp powers um kemp powers by the way he co-created, co-wrote Pixar's Soul. We liked that movie. Oh, yeah. It was yeah, really good. It was good. So this movie, One Night in Miami, is a fictional account of a real night shared by four black icons of the 60s. Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. Mm. And we all know Sam Cooke has I this... I love Sam Cooke. Yes, beautiful, iconic voice. Yeah. The premise is that this group of four black icons, they meet to celebrate Muhammad Ali's boxing night victory. And they think they're going to party and have a fun night, whoop it up. But instead, it becomes this epic battle as Malcolm X basically tries to convert these black men into his sort of branch 
of um, the Nation of Islam. And they kind of argue back and forth over, what have you done for the movement? So the whole movie is just this push. But doesn't he struggle with the Nation of Islam itself as a movement within the movie as well? Yes, that's, that's one of the subplots is that Malcolm X discovers that there's some shenanigans going on with the leaders of yeah. the Nation of Islam. So he's going to break off and do his own thing. And so he's kind of hoping, by the end of the movie, he's hoping that he can get Muhammad Ali to go with him right. to his separate branch. Yeah. And that's a whole other like dramatic scene because yeah. then Muhammad Ali feels like Malcolm X was just using it. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're giving a lot of the movie away right now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> spoiler alert spoilers sorry but it's really good and it it talks about the struggles of people who are trying to be leaders and how much you can lead and and how you can drive forward the the fight for equality and civil rights Mm, yeah and uh there's kind of an undercurrent of you're a leader in one sense publicly but then privately you know you're a victim of this racist society yeah and that was you know clear watching that in the movie yeah you know sam cook at the cabana was it the cabana the copa yeah he got yeah he got booed the copa cabana the copa yeah (laughs) he got booed yeah and then jim brown you know at the very beginning of the movie um he goes to visit some people a white family on a plantation and they're like happy to sit on the porch and schmooze them but then he's like welcome in inside the house like oh no 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 you know we don't let you know n-words in the house that was horrible oh I was like, I would have just punched that dude. But, you know, they didn't do that. They were very peaceful. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And very relevant to what's happening right now. Yeah. It just breaks my heart to, like, watch this history Mm -hmm. as it played out. Right. To know that people were treated like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just ungodly. It's a crock of s***. Yeah. It's a crock of s***. Yeah. But, ouch. And that one fell flat on its face. <laughs> I was trying to circle the joke I back. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, wait, what do you got? Uh, well, following that, Ma Rainey's mm-hmm. Black Bottom. Yeah. Amazing uh, film there. And I think during the course of us watching it, you're like, was this a play? Yeah. Oh, my God. This I think this was a play. The way it was set up and you checked into it and it... Definitely was adapted from a play. And same thing with... uh, One Night in Miami. Yeah. I was in drama for four years. And so I just can feel it. Like when a movie... It's the stage setting. It's the dialogue. It's kind of the blocking. It's the thespian in you. Yeah. Low-key thespian. (laughs) But yeah, Ma Rainey uh, dubbed the Mother of Blues. Mm. Um, Viola Davis, man. Yes. I mean, come on. She's just amazing mm-hmm. amazing and she's so transformed into the person of of ma it's like oh my god is this viola mm-hmm. like even like her physical body yeah yeah she did uh put on some weight for the role mm-hmm. it was just so good it yeah. was so good she's so amazing as an actress like just bringing a character to life and I was really hoping that they would get major Oscar right. buzz. And I was so disappointed to find out that uh, they were snubbed. Yeah, they got snubbed. a crock of shit. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, come on. But like, Oscar for like best actress, best actor, come on. Well, and we're just talking about Vi- Viola Davis here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Chadwick. Yes. Ugh. My eyes were just glued to him the whole time he was on screen. Yeah. He was just so good. Yeah. I'm just saddened that that was like his last role. And you could see, you could see that he was very thin. But he had, he still had tons of energy. Yes. His energy was just palpable. It, it was like a dangerous energy. Yeah. And it was, look, I'm, I'm saying this as a heterosexual man, right? But it was like a sexy, like, energy. You know what I mean? Why you gotta preface it? Because I don't want anyone listening going like, hey, that's kind of weird for a guy to call another guy sexy. You've always been suspect, so, you know, and I'm your wife. Because I'm fine with my masculinity (laughs) where it is. But, and and that sort of sexual energy and tension and like chaotic, you know, vibe just carried throughout. Which was really interesting because Viola Davis in her state as Ma Rainey in that film also exuded like sexuality. Yes. um, You know, I think some of the guys... That and and forgive me, I don't know their their names, the actors who played with uh, Chadwick as the other band members. Yeah, I recall them saying about him, you know, behind the scenes he would practice, mm. and he didn't know how to play the trumpet, you know, and he would practice, and it would force them to step up their game. Of course, they weren't going to become masters. Mm-hmm. but um, be well-rounded enough to to pull off these parts mm-hmm. believably. And the amount of dedication and effort that he poured into uh, this character, you know, it's just, you see it. Yeah. You see it in, in the film. And it's heartbreaking because then we know, while we're watching the movie, you're very conscious of the fact that Chadwick is in, in reality deceased. No longer with us, yes. So that was heartbreaking and i think not to give away too many spoilers i don't want to be the spoiler guy but he has these moments where he is screaming he's yelling at god for Mm. his situation and it's very much sort of like a job like agony and just rending his garments if you will yeah um lamenting quite yeah very much lamenting even though it was blasphemous at moments nonetheless it was i think in his own way, like an authentic prayer. He's not on his knees praying, but he is like bearing himself, calling out to God because he feels forsaken, you know? Yes. But yeah, powerful scene. Yeah, absolutely. Good movie. Good movie. I really, I'm just so bummed that like it just didn't pick up the Oscar buzz that I feel this film Mm -hmm. deserves. They got nominated for the SAG. They got nominated for Gold, Golden Globes. Golden Globes, yeah. Just no Oscar. Yeah. Bummer. If you haven't seen it, check those movies out. Both two uh, brilliant films. And they're both based on place, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find this show. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram 
at Conversation on Tap. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, babe. Cheers. chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Ugh, ugh, serious crap.